0: Hey, you're about to hear a great word from our teaching team. At Freedom House we're about equipping you to experience Christ's freedom every day. We would love to connect with you.
1: We stream our live services Sundays at 10:30 and 12:15 Eastern Standard Time. You can join us at freedomhouse.cc/live.
0: I hope you enjoyed this message.
1: We are kicking off a brand new series this week, and I'm glad to have everyone in this room here today. I'm also glad for all of our live streamers that are joining us from all over the United States and all over the world right now. Sometimes we don't realize that this room literally touches the globe. So let's welcome our online streamers. Come on, let's give them a big hand. Come yeah. on, everybody. So, as we kick off this series called Hell Week, this entire series will run the whole month. And basically, what this series is about is all of us in one area of our life or another are going through some type of hell. So, maybe you've been given a diagnosis. And it's just been a very difficult thing for you. Maybe you've been told you have cancer in your body and you're trying to process and walk through that. Maybe you are going through abuse and you just feel like it won't end and you don't know how to get out of it. Or maybe the abuse of the past seems like it's trapping you in. I was talking with a a lady just uh, the other day and she was talking about what happened in her family, how the thought of having to deal with seven miscarriages... And the inability to have children, what that did to her family and the emotional toll that it took, uh, praying with people on a regular basis who feel like they're in a financial hell, that they just can't come out of it. Whatever that hell looks like, all of us in some way, shape, or form feel like, will I ever get past this addiction Will will my addiction to food, will I always feel trapped? Will I always feel like I've struggled with anger or whatever it is? We're not alone. But sometimes when we're walking through that, the tendency is, is for the devil to try to isolate us and make us think we're the only ones. And in doing so, then we don't reach out to other people and get the help that we need. Now, this first series, Out of the Gate, we're actually going to be very specific and talk about the hell that some people are living through as it relates to what we call the isms.
0: That's right. Uh, In the words of my old friend, Ron Cannoli, if you catch hell, don't hold it. If you're going through hell, don't stop. So we're going to be talking about the isms, meaning that we're going to deal today very specifically with racism, sexism. How many know in our country right now there's a big divide, and uh, there's a lot of things going on that that we need to address. And we as the church, uh, if you haven't figured this out, we're to lead the way in in reconciliation. Matter of fact, that's part of our ministry. As believers, one of the big things that we're supposed to do is lead the way in reconciliation. So today, and I'll, we'll introduce our guest in just a minute, um, we're going we're gonna to dive into the beginning conversation around these issues and get to the core of some of these things. And I want to start kind of with this idea of what happened to Joshua And kind of start this way, and then we'll start, uh, we'll we'll introduce our guests to you. Um, Joshua took over the baton, he he kind of passed the baton, Moses passed the baton to him, and he was to lead the children of Israel into uh, the promised land. And he's standing in front of the first city, Jericho. You may, you may remember that city. They, they had to march around it and all that good stuff. And right before that happens, he has this conversation in Joshua chapter 5. I want you to see this. It says this. It says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Now, this was an angel. How many know you get a little scared if you see an angel with a sword in his hand? Come on. I would be afraid. I know some of you all might not be, but I'd be a little afraid. And so he asks him, Joshua is a little concerned because he knows how, um, how, how big the army is in Jericho. He knows what the wall looks like. And he went to him and he demanded, are you friend or foe? And another way to say this is, are you uh, for us or are you for them? Another way to say it was, are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? Are you for uh, black people or are you for white people? Males, uh, are you for males or are you for females? And so this is where the whole conversation yeah. started. Now, the interesting thing is what the response of the angel was. Look, listen, well, look, at, look at what he said. Neither one. That's now, that's very, that's very crazy. That would be like me asking you, hey, what kind of ice cream do you like, vanilla or chocolate? And you say, cheeseburger. Cheeseburger. Okay, that's a little strange. What did he mean? He meant that he wasn't going to pick a side. In other words, us as believers, if you're a Christian in this room, you have the awesome responsibility to live in the middle. It doesn't mean that we can't have an opinion. We're going to talk about that. But how you position yourself is more important than the opinion that you have. Let me say that one more time. How you position yourself as a believer is more important than the opinion that you have. And so he replied, I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command. And I love what Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? And that's what we're going to talk about today. What do you want us to do, God? How do you want us to respond to this us versus them dilemma, this polarization that we're having in our country? What do you want us to do? So we invited our counselor today. Um, so we're going to have a little counseling session right in front of you. oh So he's not
1: just been our counselor That's for 15 right. years. He's also a life coach. He's also a leadership development coach. He works with Fortune 500 companies and Fortune 100 companies. So he not only helps us personally in getting Troy straight when he needs it. But he, I
0: need some help, y'all. Y'all pray for me.
1: But he, he also helps us with the church. He helps us with our leadership, with our growth. So he has been a key role in our life for, for a very 15 long years.
0: time. 15 years. And so this is Ryan Bailey, um, if we didn't say his name already. And, um, so, and, and this whole this idea of doing this today came out of a conversation that we started a few weeks ago about,
2: because I didn't know
0: this, about your background. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your
2: background. So, um, really, really mixed. I actually have pictures to show you, the mixture, because if you only see it on pictures, that's the only way you can get it. So these are my grandparents, um, Samuel and Angeline Smith. Uh, they were pretty influential in the civil rights movement. Uh, they were professors at North Carolina A&T, and they actually have a building um, named after them at North Carolina A&T. There's the building. Um, And um, love them to death. So they're a big deal. They They really did some stuff. I mean, if you look them up online, you'll find out a lot of accomplishments. So, very proud of them. Next. These are my grandparents on my mother's side. So, my mother's from the Dominican Republic. And uh, I love those two people. Like you wouldn't believe. Uh, Unfortunately, they're uh, not with us anymore, but love them to death. Next. That's my mom and dad. So, no denying I'm my father's child, huh? No denying. (laughs) Uh, and so, um, obviously, just from looking at this picture, you guys would obviously tell that I'm a person of mixed race. Um, and uh, we recently did an ancestor. Oh, actually show the next picture. Uh, that's my wife, Grace, and I totally married up, and our three children, we adopted all three. Uh, we've got twin boys that I can't get enough of and a daughter that owns my heart. Uh, so love them all to death. Um, obviously, uh, we, uh, that's me as a kid in the Dominican Republic. Uh, i gotta show the next one. Oh, the yeah. shorts.
0: You got to put the shorts in. I love those shorts, man. So this was the those 80s. Those are coming back, by those the way. Those were the They're 80s. They're coming All back. right,
2: let's stress. Tennis did not have very much variety back then. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> These are my cousins on um, my dad's side, who I'm going to see you next weekend. I can't wait to see them. Um, and then next picture, is there one? Is that it? Okay, great. So we'll take so off have, that. So you have,
0: you really... Cover a lot of spectrum when yeah. it comes to your your background Absolutely. and what makes up Ryan Bailey.
2: Yeah, so um, literally, there's um, we did ancestry DNA and we discovered that there's pretty much everything inside me that could possibly Look, be there. So
1: the first four out of oh yeah three out of the four are from African countries that I'm not sure I know that I've heard of. So yep. I was like the Bantu peoples. Like yep. I'm like Ryan, where is that? And you're having to explain.
2: So basically, just so that you guys know, in case you don't know, is um, a lot of the slaves that came into this country came through the Bantu peoples. Um, and so, um, big mixture of race. Um, Hispanics aren't actually a race. Um, they are a combination of races, or they could be individual races. Uh, so uh, my mother is of Italian and Spanish descent, which I think you guys saw up there. I think Spain was number two. Um, so big, big mixture, yeah.
0: And so, so how, did that, how did that kind of background um, frame you, you yeah, know, as so a person?
2: there are, like, so I want to be clear. There's so many great things about being somebody of mixed race, but there were also some negative things about being a person of mixed race. So for me, for example, one of the negative things was is that I was never enough of any one of my races. Wow. So I was never Dominican enough. I was never African-American enough. I was never Caucasian enough. There was a way in which I could kind of blend but then something from some ethnicity would just jump out at a random time and everybody would be like, okay, that's not quite like us or something like that. (laughs) And and once you get that kind of look, you know it's a little different um, from there forward. On the positive, I also got a perspective on people that most people don't get. So when you travel around to visit relatives and they're in their distinct cultures, when you walk in their houses, the house smells different, the food tastes different, all of this is different. But when you hang out long enough, what you start to discover is that people are far more alike than they are different, far more alike. The root is the same. The expression of that root is what's different. And if if those of us who haven't um, been around people of other cultures, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to dive in on that, because that's going to enrich your life like nothing else in many ways.
0: So how did it shape you? Because you went through, you got discrimination yeah. and, and racial tension on both sides That's right. of both being a Dominican Republic, kind of looking uh, too white, and yep. then on the other side, not looking black enough. That's right. And, and you went through a lot of pain. I did.
2: So just to add to that, um, being somebody from the Dominican Republic, um, well, in this country, I'm a minority, but in the Dominican Republic, I'm considered the majority. So there's a lot of power and privilege that I have just because of the color of my skin that somebody like my darker skin cousins couldn't get the same jobs that I could get. And they, they faced discrimination and we're not that different. But the way that it shaped me, in this country in particular, I'll start with my family and out. I had a family that really, really loved me. Uh, my parents divorced by the time I was two, so I was raised in Washington Heights, which is in upper Manhattan. We call it the second largest Dominican city in the globe because it's so many Dominicans up there. Um, and so, um, anyway, so up What there- else is
1: it known as?
2: It's also known as the crack capital of the world, especially in the 70s and 80s. So rough neighborhood, uh, been mugged more times than I care to tell you. I mean, just a lot of issues uh, were a part of that neighborhood. But growing up um, in my family, I'm the only one that doesn't have quote unquote good hair. And for me, that was actually a very shameful thing. So my family loved me. I wanna be clear, they loved me. But you could just tell my grandmother's lament was that my hair didn't look like hers. And she would make comments. And sometimes when she would brush it, it was so aggressive. And it's like you could just sense her anger towards my hair. And I can't do anything about it, you know. Um, And, you know, I could tell you about stories like um, being followed around in stores when I go to buy things um, in New York. I could tell you stories of being surrounded by people, and I won't use the N-word, but lots of racial slurs being thrown at me, including that I'm the house N-word, um, and just all sorts of other things from a variety of different people. Went through desegregation in Boston, so my, I was zoned to go to a white school, and because of what was going on right before that, my mother's fear was that I was actually gonna be killed uh, because of what actually some of the th- awful things that you could read about that happened. So I got to go to a prep school, Uh, She pushed my father, who was an orthopedic surgeon, to send me there, and then I was the first kid picked up on the bus, the last kid dropped off, so I got to see where everybody lived, and as a young five, six-year-old, what I saw was people like me, minorities, lived in these awful slum neighborhoods that were really chaotic, loud, and dirty, and then once we got started moving into the white neighborhoods, they were pristine and they had pools and they had tennis courts. And literally as a five, six year old, I didn't even know that there were any poor white people at all. Like I just assumed all whites were rich and all minorities were poor. And I was the number one student in my little class, first grade. I was like three grades ahead. And, and somehow, some way I put the connection that it didn't matter how smart I was or how gifted I was, I would always be trapped in a neighborhood that was like this, and I came home one day. I don't remember this, but my mom tells a story. She said that I came home and I started pulling out my hair, yelling, screaming that I hated that I was a minority, and that I hated that I was like this, and and she just got really nervous, so she sent me for the summer to, to spend time with my dad so that I could see that minorities weren't always trapped. I could tell you stories with my wife and I in the 2000s, where literally we walk into a restaurant, um, and I hate to say this in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, I'm not not knocking the Outer Banks, but you could feel the racial tension jump up. And my wife was like, "I'm like, literally, we're newly married, she'd never faced it, so for her, it was like first time experience. I said, let's go, she was like, no, 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 let's just see what happens. And literally, like other people walked in, they got seated ahead of us, they treated us really badly, they spilled soda on the cushioned seats so that when you uh, put a towel down, it still sticks to your clothes. At that point, I had enough, I said, we are not eating here. And she started to cry. It was like a mess. So it's just all throughout my life, I've just, now, I've just to face. touch
1: on something. Because of my close relationship with you, yeah. I know this, but for people who are watching, they might not. When you talked about your hair, yeah, um, that was a really big deal. And that you have told us for a long time that you keep your hair really, really short because some places you can hide some of your ethnicity, but when your hair grows out, you can't. Oh, yeah. And so I'm assuming if you're, because you told me there were places you got followed Tell us, you know, what, did you grow your hair out? Was yeah. there something, like what happened? So you
2: saw the pictures. I had longer hair for a while. It, it doesn't quite look like an Afro, but you could definitely tell it's ethnic. Um, and um, I, di- I wasn't ashamed like that. So I mean, I, I didn't care that it was longer. I think there was a little bit of a re- rebellious part of me that I wanted to just be wanted regardless of how I was um, I, I just started getting cut my hair cut at a Dominican hair salon and those of you who know that they always have the what they call the Dominican look for guys which is pretty much this and that's like <laughs> the standard haircut for all Dominicans and since I, I don't get to be around Dominicans as much I love going there so it's not so much as hiding as much as I just like the haircut now and I get around my people <laughs> yeah, for a you while do
1: now, <laughs> yeah but it was a struggle, but it was a struggle for yeah. the
2: longest time I mean I, I could tell you stories of being in Spain and Spaniards touching my hair and, and literally telling me you need to cut it short um you need to wow. cut it short for our for the business people that we're going to wow. be interacting with and one of them even sent me to a salon which I, I just i felt like i didn't know what to do i felt stuck i wish i probably wish i would have said no but frankly i did it just because i was so uncomfortable yeah. so i can tell you story upon story
0: so so let's let's take it to a higher level that's right why, why is it that you think that we're seeing such a divide in our country yeah around things that seem don't and, and the truth is, is there are lots of injustices. That's right. Yeah. I mean, so I don't, think, I don't think we need to ignore those. That's right. At all. We don't. But why, why? are we seeing such a polarization
2: and yeah. people jumping us and them? Why are we keep seeing the sides being made? So let me give you two parts of this story. One, expand it out, and second, answer the question. So the first part, and expanding it out. So I, I got to tell you that there isn't just racism going on. Obviously, right. There's also one of the things that's happening lately is me being an overt Christian. If you go to my counseling site, it's it's gospel-centered. You can't miss that I'm a Christian. I've actually lost business deals on the basis of my faith. That's been probably the biggest one that I've lost lately. But I can tell you that I've lost deals because of my age. They didn't think I w- could relate to re- millennials, even though half my clients are millennials. Um, they, uh, they did, some people, I can I'm struggling with food, they didn't like that I was big, and so I, they wouldn't let me do certain things because of the way I look. Um, I'm sure everybody in the story-
1: called weightism. Yeah, it's weightism. An it's an actual thing.
2: Yeah, discrimination. I'm sure all of us have our version of these stories. I coach top female executives. These are incredibly gifted women. I have got to tell you the glass ceiling is real. It is real for women. Um, so on the one side we see all these different ways, and you all have your own versions of how you've been looked bad upon because of whatever. Now, if we look at why it is that there seems to be and it's so all much real. Of it's real, pain, it's all real pain, real hurt, real hurt, and we need Mine's to, we just need to talk about. Mine's different than it. yours. Yeah. Mine's not better than yours necessarily. It's just different. Right. But we all have it. Now, if we look at why, I think one of the things that social media has done is it's actually elevated the voice of minorities in many different ways because very often. Um, in the broader uh, majority culture, whether it's here in the States with Caucasians or in the Dominican Republic with people who look more like my color, minorities actually don't get that much of a voice. We're always adapting to the majority culture. We're always having to adapt. And now with social media, there's more out there, so you kind of get that. And I think some of it has been elevated for a good way to help people understand. But frankly, to be real, um, I think some of it has been kind of race baiting and some of it has been to cause much more division than what really it should be, frankly. And I feel like sometimes it angers me that we're being, that our stories are being used in a way that's more for profit than for any other, th- the other thing. But that's I, all I I
1: completely thing. agree with that. And sometimes I think, um, you know, in trying to speak to that, when we try to say that, we don't always get it right when right. we say it. And so then if we say it wrong the first time, we decide, because, you know, social media, they'll attack you oh, if yeah. you say something wrong. Because they won't have a face-to-face conversation and say, hey, can you tell me what you meant? You know, it's full-on assault, and then we're off in some place that, you know, when, when I think if we get to the bottom of things, I know there's been times that I've come home from work, and I've cried to Troy Um, Not because of something that necessarily happened on staff, but I'm the one who's responsible to build all of our buildings that we build. That's something I oversee, everything from the projects down to the look and feel of the buildings. And I came one day, I came home, and I had just been crying. And he's like, what's going on? And I said, babe, I deal with tons and tons of men all the time that aren't used to somebody being in this position And so it's hard for them to listen. Not everybody. There was a few. The tendency can be is one or two people does something to you, and we're taking a whole entire people group and casting them out. And so what happened was I came home, was crying, and I said, I feel embarrassed to tell you this, but I'm going to need you to step in because they won't listen to me. And so Troy said, I'll deal with it. I'll handle it. And I felt like I was waving a white flag, like I didn't do good enough. Um, And so he came in. He talked to the guy on the phone, really dealt with him hard. The guy acted out. And Troy said to him, he said, you know, because the guy was like, fine, I'll just quit. I'll just walk out. I'm done with this project. And Troy says to him, you can act that way. You can walk away, and he said, but we've given you so much business. Is this the way that you want to leave this relationship? Do you want to leave this relationship like this? And so Troy said to him, I want you to think about this. Don't make a rash decision right now, and I want you to let me know tomorrow. So the next morning in my email, I have an inbox. In the memo, it says, and I'm flabbergasted because it's from him, it says, from one girl to another. And I'm going, what does that mean? And I open up the email and it says, I'm so sorry that I acted like a girl yesterday and was all emotional. Please forgive me for acting like that. I wanna stay on the job. Now, there's the Jesus side of me. And there's the other side. And really what I determined was is if I decide to get angry and react, I don't therefore get to help teach a lesson too. And so I said to him, I said, hey, I'm really glad that you sent me this email and not somebody else. I just want to tell you how some people might take this. And it was able to be a teaching moment. But I think sometimes, here's the thing, is that all of us are going to mess up. I mean, Ryan do all of us have an ism?
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: So what's the core issue here? Yeah,
2: so let's first jump to the core and then we'll jump to that yeah. because we want, I want to just set it up. So if you can go to the first scripture that I have up. So to answer this question, I'm going to read your scripture that at first glance might not sound like I'm answering the question, so let me explain it a little bit. So if we look at Romans 10.3, it says, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So let's look at this, and let's hone in on the word righteousness. Righteousness means what? how are you right with something. It means how are you acceptable. Mm, it means yeah. where do you get your value from. It means what has meaning to you. Those of us in this room who are believers, those of us in this room who are believers, we have Christ's righteousness, clothed on us. What that means is literally what Christ did, we did. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But when we're in our other self, as you so well described it, what happens is is that we start kind of jockeying for position, and we start wanting to kind of elevate ourselves up. And what we'll do is we'll pick anything about somebody to say that's wrong and we're right. So we might do it on the basis of race. We might do it as Americans and look down on other countries. We might also do it on the basis of class. I have more money than you. Or, man, those rich people, right? Smarter. But we might do with intelligence. Mm-hmm. I'm way smarter. I might even do it with extrovert introverts. So as an extrovert, I might look at an introvert and say, man, they're just so quiet and shy, like nobody knows them or anything. And the introvert might look at me and say, Ryan, would you ever shut up? I mean, just shut up. You know? <laughs> so I mean, it could go with anything, but there's always ways in which we're going to pick something to try to elevate ourselves with, what this scripture is saying is we need to be not ignorant of the righteousness of God, but actually embrace it, live from it, keep that center, so that we don't try to be superior to anyone, because frankly we are all equal, and that's what and that's what uh, the scripture tells us. So, what what is the trap we fall into? Yes, because yeah, so. we end up
0: because I, I see what you're saying, and I think that. Um, what what tends to happen and what I'm seeing is we're focusing a lot on the fruit of the tree. That's right. Trying to tr- We're trying to chop limbs off yeah. in order to kill the tree. Right. When in reality, we've got to go down to the root of the tree That's and right. deal with the core issue. And That's I think right. it's very easy for us to get in battles with people over limbs of a tree and not realize that, hey, listen, we've got to get down underneath this and and discover what in me— is causing me to have this against you what you know what we call unconscious bias—that's the, right. These blind spots that we have that we don't even realize. I mean, we all have them. That's right. We all do. We all do, and it's part of our human nature. Yes, it's it part is. Part of that sin nature. That's right. And so, why why but do we, we fall in like this trap? But we sure like to call trap? them
1: out, and everybody else.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's oh, much it feels, easier. It feels
2: better, right? I mean, it much feels nice And to we feel love to do it on yeah, Facebook. Oh, yeah.
0: Facebook's the Ooh. best place to do that. Oh I mean, yeah. Just to tell everybody. Oh my goodness. Not true, by the way. It's not the not the place to do it. Yeah, yeah. And so, why do we fall in this trap?
2: Yeah. So let's look at the next scripture, and let's um. Let's set this up. So the book of Galatians, um, just to kind of set this up real fast, the book of Galatians actually is addressing that issue. Um, In this book, what we learn is there's this group called the Judaizers that have been following the apostles around. And in essence, what they've been saying to everybody is, faith alone in Christ is not enough for salvation. You actually have to follow Jewish customs as well. So in essence, what they were saying is, is, in order to become a Christian, you have to become a Jew first. And so just imagine that for a second, right? So now what we have is we have uh, Cephas is actually Peter. Uh, Peter was the one who received that vision that, that nothing is unclean, and you could literally eat unclean food. She came down, he she was on the top down, of the house. Had to, God had to say it three times because he wasn't listening, right? It's, it's yeah. all of that, right? Then on top of that, we also learn is that he's, he embraced that message, started getting in with the Gentiles, started living with them. But then the Judaizers came, and he felt this pressure, He felt this incredible pressure. And now we see that he started pulling away from them. And so this is Paul talking, confronting him. And it says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So in essence, what was going on here, just to kind of look at it a different way, is through that pressure, Paul elevated his nationalism above the Gentiles. We are Jewish, therefore we're special. We are above you. And notice how, what a division that would have brought to the church. All of these Gentiles received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, just like the Jews did. Right? Yeah. Everybody's together. We know that we're part of the only faith that's going to have every tongue and tribe and nation sought after with this gospel. So, what this means is we have to pay attention to the gospel. So, let's talk about the gospel, pull this out even further. The gospel, with the same screen, um, the gospel says God is a holy God. He is infinitely holy, not even a hint of sin anywhere around him. He created us. As our creator, he knows how he works. He gets to tell us how we work and just how we to live. He said that we should live holy like he does. Y'all know, just like I know, we've all failed that one. All of us have sinned. All of us yeah. will sin. Yep. What happened then is Jesus did the unthinkable. Jesus, God himself, and, and Jesus, and the man of Jesus, came, lived the holy life we were supposed to live. Perfectly holy. Then... He took on our sins on the cross, paid for them in full, in full, died, rose from the dead, showing that he broke the bondage of all those sins. When we believe, he does this great exchange. He took our sins, and then he gives us his righteousness. What that means is it's literally in the scripture, what that means is as if we did all the things Jesus did. It's like we live the holy life Jesus lived. We're all adopted into his family. So in other words, when we look at how it is that we're supposed to shift and change and do all of these things, this scripture in particular points us back to the gospel. Is the way we're treating others in step with the gospel? If I really see that I have Christ's righteousness, I have no reason to ever, ever feel superior to you. I've got the God of the universe loving me. I've got the God of the universe behind me. I've got the God of the universe who literally is for me at all times. Why on earth do I need to be superior to you? If anything, I should be inviting you to join me. I should be inviting you to be my brother and sister in Christ. It should not matter what you look like. It should not matter where you come from, your class, your nationality. None of that should ever matter because I've got him. That's good.
0: So, what if I disagree with you, though? Because that's where the problem arises. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't agree on the same thing. Yeah. So that means we need to be in unity. Yes. But
1: but, but in the define of the it. Yeah, yeah. yeah what is what that? that means. Like, yes, is so unity where we we all have to agree on things?
2: No, no. So unity is I'm going to be one with you, even if we're different. It's a Based whole different. on the gospel. It's all because of the gospel. So, in other words. Those of you in this room that believed what I just said about the gospel, you and I are brothers and sisters. We may not have ever met, but I'm gonna tell you that we have far more in common with each other than each of us do with our relatives who look like us, smell like us, all like that, like us, who do not believe the gospel. We have far more in common with people who we can't even speak their language if they believe the gospel. What we have to do is we have to first center on the gospel then see what the non-essentials are. And we could still have our opinion. We could still step in on various different things and politics and everything else. We can have our disagreements there. But at the end of the day, Christ's main prayer went right before he was gonna die was that we would be one. And he spent time, we have details of that prayer, one of the longest prayers for him, him. So you better believe we have to be one no matter what. And we can't let things that are more on the surface divide us.
1: I think we we get that, like when it comes to marriage, like oh, we should be one. We'll have times we disagree. It's a lot harder. Really, <laughs> we,
2: we disagree.
1: It's a lot harder to peace out. We're not really doing a session right now, are to we? To piece <laughs> out of this, you know. But I think with our brothers and sisters, when we go into a disagreement, the easy thing is is just to piece out. Yeah. You know, I'm. It, You don't agree with what I agree with, so I'm gonna go somewhere where people look like me, talk like me, and and it makes me feel comfortable. But when we all walk in this room, or we all are in a church that looks like our church, we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and having conversations.
2: That's right. So one of the things that I would really, yeah, please. (laughs) One of the things that I really wanna challenge you guys to do is to really, really befriend, become friends with someone who's very different than you, who shares the gospel. In seminary, when I went to seminary, my closest friend was a guy off the boat from Sweden who was a Swedish Pentecostal. I'm a Dominican Presbyterian. You can't get much different than that. (laughs) You just can't get much different than that, right? So we're on polar opposites of so many different spectrums it's not even funny. But the thing was, is that whenever we were talking about the gospel, whenever we were talking to each other about Christ, he was coming at it from a different angle than me. I was coming at it from a different angle than him, both based on the word of God, but because our churches have certain biases, we don't usually see that other side as much as we should. Boy, did we grow. It was fantastic. I want to encourage you guys to do the same thing
0: really really find that that's out. That's so good. And I think the I think the issue is or part of the problem is sometimes we're afraid. I yeah, know that in right. the past I've been afraid to say something wrong. Oh yeah. And I have yep. many times Oh, yeah. and we have, you know, me, and I think too. we all have. Yep. We've all we've all made mistakes that's in that right. area. But you know the thing that I love about especially about Freedom House is the fact that God has given us a gift. Yes. in the way we look as a church. Yes. And it is an awesome stewardship responsibility to be this type of church. That's exactly right. And it happens intentionally. You don't just happen. This doesn't happen just by accident. That's right. Um, But there is a responsibility that we have. That's right. And so how do we continue to move forward in that
2: unity? What do we need to do? So let's look at the next scripture to really hit that. So I want to be clear. I want to be clear. All of us have pain in this room. All of us have pain. I want to be so clear. Hear me with that. Right, Our pains might look different, but that's your pain, I have my pain, we have pain. We all have a hell. We all have a hell, right? Now, let's look at what Christ did with his hell for a second. Let's really look at this. So first of all, Jesus was from Nazareth. So what does that mean?
1: Nothing nothing good comes from Nazareth. Nothing
2: good comes from Nazareth. So can you imagine Jesus, God the creator, was being discriminated against because he was a Nazarene. He created the person who's discriminating against him. What must that have been like for him? What must that have been like for him, right? So he lives this sinless life, did nothing wrong, nothing, holy. Yet injustice after injustice after injustice hits him to the point that they wanted to crucify him. Not only did they want to crucify him, the man who had the power to free him wanted to free him. But because of his own ism, did not freeze Jesus. He did not free Jesus at all, hung him on a cross. While he's on the cross, pay attention to what was happening to him. So after all these injustices, all this discrimination, watch what happens here. And when they came to that, the place that is called the skull, they were there they crucified him and the criminals. What this means in, in the Greek is he's being identified as a criminal. Jesus Christ is being identified as a criminal. One on his right, one on his left. What does Jesus do with this? And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. In the middle of, his, of his, all of this injustice happening, happening before, happening during, happening after, where is Jesus going? He's moving towards forgiveness. We, if like literally, none of us can claim that we went through what this man went through. None of us can claim that we experienced the pain that he did. Jesus was fully man and fully God. What this means, fully man, just so that you were clear in the Greek, that meant that he felt things more than we did because he didn't have a sin nature to contend with. So when he was mocked, that would have hurt him more than us. When those nails went through him, that would have hurt far more than us because he was fully man. He was perfectly man, yet he's moving towards forgiveness. No wonder we have so many scriptures that tell us move to forgiveness as fast as possible. One of them in particular, really fast. If you're leaving your gift at the altar and you realize your brother has something against you, go be reconciled, then come back. Show me someplace else where God tells somebody to stop worshiping me and do something else instead. Show me that. Now, if we look at Romans, Romans says, if at all possible, live at peace with all men. What does that mean? I can't be reconciled to everybody. If the other person doesn't want to be reconciled, I can't do anything, right? So, what this scripture is implying is move fast for forgiveness. Move fast. You cannot get trapped in a victim mentality because it's so, it's going to ruin your life. On top of that, if you stay stuck in a victim mentality, you're going to miss that out. That
1: deserves a clap, y'all. Come
2: on. So good. You're also going to miss out because what's going to happen is you're going to start doing what was done to you. What happens to all of us is when we have that root of bitterness come in, it takes over the whole life. We start blanketing people automatically. We just see them, oh, they're just that person who's from whatever. And they're already in a category where we haven't even gotten to know them yet. You know, I was very, very fortunate that both sets of my grandparents pushed on me to forgive because I got to tell you, the two groups that have done, that did the most discrimination in my life were unfortunately white people and dark-skinned blacks. The two people that have helped me in my life, in my family, in my business, in my practice have been whites and dark-skinned blacks. I would have missed out on that.
1: I, I want to ask you something about that, um, kind of like two, two-sided. First of all, how do you forgive when it's not something that just happened 20 years ago? These are things that we're dealing with on a daily, sometimes moment-by-moment basis. How do you forgive when you feel like there's constantly having salt poured in your wound? And then maybe you can define for us what exactly is forgiveness? Because I think many of us think, well, I have forgiven, but, but help us. Yeah,
2: so first, forgiveness is not saying that it's all right what was done to you. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't saying, oh, you didn't do bad. It's not that. Forgiveness is letting go of the justice your heart feels like it deserves. So I'll say it again. Say that one more say time. It again. That's a good one. Forgiveness is letting go of the justice your heart feels like it deserves. I've got an article. <laughs> I got an article that I wrote on it. If you want it, email me at ryan at ryancbailey.com. I'm happy to send it. But one, one of the ways that we can forgive is we have to go back to the gospel. We have to look at the gospel. So, and we have to look at the fact that it is God, God is the only one who's holy enough, just enough, good enough to know how to do justice. So what does this mean? If the person who wronged you was a believer, then what you have to understand is Jesus paid in full for the harm that was done to you. And if you want to hold on to bitterness, you know what you're telling Christ? What you're telling Christ is his sacrifice was not enough. You want more. You want more. Slapping him across the face. Stop slapping. Stop slapping. Accept that he did that. Unfortunately, if the person's not a believer, then what's going to happen is that if they never become one, The only one who's fit to judge and knows what the punishment needs to be is gonna take care of it for you. So in other words, your heart can release because your God has got it and he's gonna deal with it. Now, hopefully that person comes and becomes a believer, but I'm just saying, regardless, it's gonna be handled. That's so good. And I think that's where we as the church...
0: Can lead the way. That's
2: right. And that's what's
0: gonna point people to Jesus. That's it. Instead of point and again, we're not dismissing injustices, we're not dismissing pain, because I like what you said, we need to get into the world of other people. That's right. And be intentional about learning about what they're going through, understanding the context of what's going on, and that's where you begin to, to really feel like that you can forgive yeah. somebody. That's exactly yeah. right.
1: And I love what what you just showed us you showed us Jesus was crucified. He said, Father, forgive them. And it didn't say, and they all repented and cleared things straight. It says, and then they divided his garments.
2: Nobody apologized.
1: Nobody apologized. And I think that is huge for us because sometimes we feel like we can't be settled until they do. That's right. But I I love what you were talking about earlier. You were talking about biases that we all have. And what I've known in my life um, is I've known when I've done something wrong, when I've hurt somebody, I will go to the Lord and I will say, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I did or what I said or what I should have said that I didn't. Lord, I just ask for your mercy right now. I ask for your forgiveness. But what I've noticed about myself, and maybe you have found yourself in this place too, is when somebody hurts you deeply, when somebody cuts you deeply, when somebody is vicious or ugly towards you, the same mercy and forgiveness that we ask for for ourselves, we don't typically give them that. We say, Lord, I'm so glad you're going to make them pay for what they've done. I'm so glad that your judgment is going to be on them. I'm so glad. And we don't, tend to extend the mercy that we want to other people we tend to extend judgment but you said something and I want to key on this real quick um, before we close up you said something about biases that are unintentional and when you said that it triggered something in me that it it just was like this wow moment I don't know if it'll do this for anybody else but I was flipping through a magazine And there was an article in there or an ad in there for Band-Aids. I've worn Band-Aids my whole life, but I never, ever thought about this until this moment. When I looked at that article, it said, new Band-Aids in 10 different shades. I never thought about that in my life because when I always went to get a Band-Aid and I put it on, it always matched my skin color. And so learning to put ourselves in different places, learning to think, man, there are things that I don't even understand that somebody else is going through. And and what if we brought the fists down and we extended the table?
2: Amen. Amen. So closing real fast on that, I really wanna encourage the church to take the gospel seriously. Literally apply it to your heart. How does it match the ism? If you've got Christ, focus on his righteousness. Two, move towards forgiveness fast. Move towards it fast because it's killing you while you don't forgive and it'll free you once you do. Third, really get to know people who are different. Really get to know people who are different and who share the gospel. You're gonna grow like crazy. Very good. Hey, listen, um, I wanna just finish up by inviting
0: you. We bought uh, a bunch of these books to give to you and uh, you can purchase one of these. This is a good friend of mine, Miles McPherson. Just in the last two weeks, wrote a book called The Third Option. And basics. it's not deciding us or them, but picking honor, love, unity. picking unity, forgiveness in the middle. It's trying to live in that place and learning to live in the middle. And it's not easy, y'all. I, I wish it was just easy. We could just snap our fingers and go, oh, let's just do that. No, it's difficult because we're, we are pulled on both sides of the table. And so if you want to take another step, if you want to learn a little bit more, uh, Miles really breaks it down. This is a phenomenal, phenomenal book. And I just want to pray for you before we go home. Um, would you better just bow your head and close your eyes if you're here today? And if you're watching, I, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Just, just take a minute and get alone with Jesus. And I, I want to challenge you. May, maybe you're in this room today and you are in a position where you need forgiveness. You need God's mercy. The Bible tells us that his mercies are new every morning. that He has a fresh mercy for you. Maybe you have been a racist. Maybe you have been prejudiced. Maybe you have been a sexist. Maybe you have um, you know, created those environments where you have judged someone, prejudged someone, put them in a category, and today you realize, man, I have some blind spots that I need to deal with. Here's the great thing. God forgives you. God forgives you or maybe you need to let somebody go today. Maybe there's somebody that hurt you really, really bad. You're still feeling the sting of that pain and you realize that it's been hell, like it's been hard, it's been difficult. They said this to me, they did this to me, they didn't say this, they didn't do this for me and and I've been holding them captive. Here's the great thing, God's given you a key to let them out of the prison of your own heart, and that's forgiveness. You can release them today. And I wanna pray for both of those people, whether you're watching or, or maybe you're even here in this room, I wanna pray for you. If that's you, if you fall into one of those categories, I need some forgiveness for myself. Or maybe you need to extend forgiveness to someone. Would you just put your hand on your heart right now? Just put your hand right on your heart. Just put your hand right on your heart. And I wanna pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, we just... We, we, we thank you for what you did through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we just read that he was from a place that nothing good came out of. Lord, he, he, he received so many injustices, they're hard to even number. Hard to even imagine the pain and the suffering, the, the emotional pain, the, the physical pain that he went through being all God and all man. But God, he, as he hung on the cross in the place where he had all the right, all the position, and had all the authority to bring vengeance, Lord, he decided to forgive. And so, Father, we ask that same forgiveness to be poured out upon us. God, let us be the church in this day. Father, if there are people in our lives that, that we need to release from and forgive, Lord, we do that right now. And God, over these next few minutes, Lord, I I just ask that we would maybe even say their name. I forgive and then say their name. I forgive and then release them from the prison of our hearts. God, we we don't wanna be bitter anymore. We wanna be better, God. We wanna walk in a position of understanding that we've been given a great responsibility here as the kingdom of God, as the church of the living God. So help us walk that out. In the name of Jesus, we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.
1: Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe.
0: And hey, if you want to find out more about our church or how you can be a part, go to freedomhouse.cc.